0: Um, let me just first touch on what the Bible is for some who are listening or maybe here visiting or whatever. You're still working out some of these things of life. The Bible tells us who God is and how man is. The Bible reveals God's love, his patience, his judgment. The Bible reveals his grace, which is a uh, unmerited favor given to people who don't deserve it. That's why it's called unmerited. The Bible tells us of, of his sacrifice. It tells us of what he has opened in regard to hope given to humanity. The Bible reveals man's beginning and man's rebellion against God. Also the consequences of rejecting God's instruction and in kindness. See, as we know historically, In the Garden of Eden, there was Adam and Eve, and God said, listen, I know what's best for you. And I have abundance for you. He's not a stingy God. I have abundance for you. Here's how it goes. Here's what's best for you. You've got this whole place to hang in and just get to know and chill. But there's one thing that you cannot do. You cannot take of this tree over here. And what happened? Oh, that tree? See, because God built within you and me something that we, we sometimes wonder, why did you allow me to do that? It's called free will, the capacity to choose. He created it. It wasn't a mistake. It was absolutely necessary for the human experience. That God would create and frame and then pour in the truth of love so that we would learn what love is, and love requires free will. He could have made humanity so there's no choices. But that wasn't a design. We were created in his image and likeness. The ability and the capacity to love through his love. And so, man rebelled. Said, I don't want to do it that way. I want to call love something else. I want to live differently. And God said, that's not what's best for you. I'm going to do it anyway. And from the moment that they did that, death entered the world. And then we, they, got excommun- not, uh, they got evicted out of the Garden of Eden because of the rebellion. And we have been living with that ever since. The Bible reveals that you and I, on this thing called planet Earth, we actually we live, we, this is a part of a spiritual battlefield. And it takes place, and the Bible reveals that the victory of Jesus, who is the Savior of the world, his victory offers forgiveness to whosoever would put their trust in Jesus, who is God. What's whosoever? That's three words, right? Whosoever. Who does it include? Whosoever. Whosoever what? I mean, that's, that's non-restrictive. That doesn't mean, well, if you go to church enough, and if you smile nice, and you do nice, and you be nice, then you get a special invite to this nice place. No, it just says whosoever. Made up or messed up, it doesn't matter. Whosoever will put their faith in Him can have this forgiveness, this right standing with God, this born-again experience. (laughs) I mention that because as we get into 1 Corinthians 5 today, as we continue through this study of this New Testament book, we're using the reminder each week and the reference, the series title, called out, Called up God's invitation to live and love at a higher level. As I've said, humanity rebelled against God, leaving us what we would say in the world. But God offered us a way out of that. That we are not just in the constraints of worldly wisdom, this horizontal plane, but through new life in Jesus Christ, Jesus said, very succinctly and directly and specifically and clearly, because he loves you and me, you must be born again. He he didn't say, I want you to think about restart. I think you want, no, he said, you must be born again. Well, being born again means you're in this world. Now you're born again, born of the spirit. It comes from putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Not because your grandma loved you and took you to church. Not because your spouse drug you along. Because of a deep conviction of personal sin, your response to God, who brought that sin to your awareness, is, God, I I ask for your forgiveness. I ask you to forgive me, Jesus. I put my faith and trust in you. Now you're in this world, but you're not of this world. You're born again. Horizontal plane, worldly wisdom has now been, you know, opened up to where you look up. You're called out, but now we look up, look into God. God, give me wisdom. Help me not know how to do this thing called life. How do I walk as a as a new creature and a new creature in Christ? How do I, how do I do this? You look into Him because we're called out. We're, we've got this connection called up, and it's His invitation. To live and love at a higher level. I can say this confidently and in no way being personally cynical or any individual critical. Every Christian can bump it up a notch. I have not yet a met a Christian who's like, I plateaued. Me and Jesus, we're eye to eye, we're doing it. You, you, if you have a, an ounce, an, Even inclination of humility and truthfulness in you, you're like, oh, dude, I know several areas I could live and love at a higher level. It's not self-will. It's not self-power. It's knowing the power and presence of God in your life and following his instruction through his power for his glory and your joy. It's it's an amazing thing, honestly. It's an amazing life when we start raising the bar for ourselves. Chapter 5 has an issue. I'm going to go over this, and then I'm going to pray. So this is, you may not know this, but I'm actually on task with my notes. Really crazy, isn't it? Weird thing, huh? In chapter 5, there's a transition in the content that the text has taken us from the issue of division in the body of believers within the church. Well, we're going to shift from this division because something else is now being addressed, that there was a disturbing arrogance that had shown up within the church at Corinth, a disturbing arrogance. See, division always gives way to arrogance, to puffed up attitudes and deception. Why do we say that? Why would I say that? Well, because you think about it. You divided the church in that time. Well, you know, I like listening to Paul. He's got history. He's got life story. Yeah, I know, but he, he's so hard to follow, and he's not pretty to look at. Dude, I like Apollos. Apollos is an orator. He even moves his hands right. He is a communicator extraordinaire. I like Apollos. Not Paul. I don't. Well, you guys are both off track. I like on the street Pete. Peter, man, he, I can relate to him. I, I get where he's coming from. I know this Foot in mouth disease situation sometimes. You see what's happening? So you're saying, I'm saying when I make these divisions, that guy's not good enough for me. Do you see what's happening? It always is inflated and puffed up. Well, we're going to see in chapter 5 that there's a problem. The problem, there's a sexual immorality in the church. And the bigger problem, according to the text, is that, the church was on board. The church was open-minded. The church was okay with this problem. And that was the bigger, bigger problem. Let's just pray. God, as we would approach this text, I confess I don't want to approach it with merely intellect. May there be reasoning and logic and understanding in our minds. But may you, God, speak to our hearts and bring those truths to our minds. That, Lord, we would receive and realize and recognize your word in our lives. And, Holy Spirit, that you would give us application and know how to live it. You'd give us empathy and compassion for the people in our lives. That we would have, Lord God, such a relationship with you and such an awareness of what you're drawing us to. That we could be a light in this world. That we could shine. Because of your presence within us, may we be illuminated in some manner that wouldn't draw attention to ourselves, but in some manner would accomplish your purposes. Thank you, Jesus. Teach us your word today in your name. Amen. All right. I want to continue as we did first service. Um, I want to read through the text. I'm going to read through chapter 5, 1 through 13. And after reading through, we're then going to come back and look at the first five verses. Then we'll skip verses 6 through 8. We'll look at verses 9 through 13. You'll see why, and I can just tell you right now. There's a difference between the church and the world we live in. Some things are family matters, and they've got to be addressed. And then there's some things that are of the world, people who are not yet born again. And he makes this distinction. It's important that we get it because when we try to so here something that happens I've noticed this if you meet somebody who doesn't want a life with God might be it's a coworker neighbor who knows they are profane they're vulgar they're they're just live life you know that's okay what yeah that's okay don't try to make them something they're not Until they come into a right standing with Jesus Christ, until they're born again, this is what they're going to do really well. Sin. Sinners know how to sin. I'm not wanting to learn from them, but I'm not going to say, well, you need to stop doing this. what, What religious pressure are you putting on them? I want them to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to recognize, you know, some people do things that are just, they're just difficult to deal with because they don't yet know God. And why would I say those things? Well, the Bible speaks of it. God speaks to me. Do you not remember when you used to be worse than them? And it's not because you cleaned up your act, cleaned up your act and got religion It's because you chose to respond to the grace of God, receiving his forgiveness, and now he's empowering you to live a life that honors him, and it's changed your habits. So understand, we're going to have to work through some of these realities. You have to keep the category straight or the, the conclusion gets blurred. Let's read it. Verse 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. And you are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed, as present in body, but, or I mean, excuse me, absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged, as though I was present, him who has so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, Since you truly are unleavened, for indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Verse 9, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people, Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortionists or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those who are also who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. All right. A little bit uncomfortable, a little bit awkward, a little bit right before us. Let's jump into it. Verse 1. It's actually reported. It, It Actually, the wording speaks. It was widely known. And sadly, it didn't mean just widely known in the church gathering. It was well known in the community of such practice that even the Christ rejecting community recognized this is messed up. That's kind of a sad testimony, isn't it? That it was so well known among everybody. And and, and this is what was going on. And and the word used there, you know, because we're obviously reading English and it was taken from, you know, older languages and, and beautifully translated, and the Greek has different words, of course, and and many different, but it's an interesting thing there for sexual immorality. It's the word pornea. In the context here, the sentence, the structure helps define and reveal the the definition of how the word's used, but it broadly refers to all types of sexual activity outside of marriage. Marriage. So this is just specific to a thing. You, you, you've probably caught what's, being, what's happening, right? It wasn't that the man, the man was sleeping with his dad's wife. It wasn't the man's mother. It would have been his stepmother. His dad would have remarried. And so it's basically saying that's messed up. That's messed up. It, this word, pornea, you may have picked up on it already. It's where we get our English word uh, pornographic or pornography which basically is, is using imagery for, for, to, to view, uh, it's for imagery for selfish desires, is what it comes down to, quite simply. And you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, Dan. You can't say pornography, looking at pornography, would be the same as that act. You, I'm a street guy. Sadly, sometimes you guys have to put up with that a little bit. I, 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 have, I know the discussions. Wait a minute, looking is not the same. Viewing is not doing. Well, actually, according to Jesus, when you look at a woman, when you, you know, I'll I'll paraphrase it to to convey what he said. When you look at someone with lust, it's the same as the act you're fantasizing about. It's the same as doing it. And you're like, oh, you're getting, this is awful uncomfortable. This is an awkward conversation on an Independence Day weekend. Well, I have just seen so many lives wrecked. Men and women. used to be a men thing. It's not. Men, Their lives wrecked. Wrecked. Their personalities changes. The intimacy in their marriage destroyed. Uh, Just all these changes coming about as they're trying to say it's okay because I'm not actually doing it. And God said, listen, it's a type of of selfish desire, it's, it's taking care of yourself, but it creates a monster, a monster. Realize this, it's like, this is a good analogy, I think. When you, when you plant this, this weed, this seed in your heart, and water that weed, eventually it will show up in your life. It will show up. So, let me just make sure we understand something. God designed sexuality. Breakthrough light bulb. He did for, I would say, two reasons. The primary reason procreation, because that's how he designed the continuations of a a species, is through that. And what's interesting is he also designed within the parameters of what's best for humanity, he implanted and, and made it pleasurable which is fascinating. Can we agree? He made it by design pleasurable. But guess what? He also said, it fits in this framework. When you pursue pleasure outside of the boundaries of its design, you create a problem. Your rebellion will bring a lot of problems into your life. And so this word here, ponia, speaking of this sexual morality, is when people pursue the pleasure, generally speaking, outside of the design telling the designer you don't know what you're doing we'll do it this way if you read in leviticus it's disturbing when what god says about sexuality what not to do i'm I'm not even going to allude to it you go find it yourself if you want to get disturbed actually it gives you insight all these things he says, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. I mean, oh, come on, God, give us, a, give us a break. We wouldn't do that. Welcome to 2023, where it's all practiced, promoted, and expected to be endorsed. It's really messed. So God said, listen, you would say we could think in human reasoning, horizontal, don't make it so good and people won't be prone to do it. Yes, they will. Instead, set the framework and reveal the design they would honor the designer and bless the, the creature, the, the one who is experiencing it. In the text, keeping, keeping to the text, there is an immorality that even those who reject God know it's not right. It's like today to a certain measure. It's a sad state when those who want nothing to do with God have a higher moral standard than those who claim to know God. Oh, I know we tend to look at the extremes of the far left and the far right, but there's a lot in the middle, too. There's a lot of people who have rejected God, but they, can, they look at the church and go, that's just messed up. Some of those practices they're saying, okay, is messed up. I seen a, a video just as I was preparing and thinking through this of a church that prays to Jesus using all the terms of today. All the profane vernacular that would speak of sexual immorality, and it 's not a like aberrant you know wild church over here, I'm reluctant to say Lutheran, but it was a Lutheran church, which could mean a small spin-off. who knows what it may mean, But it did give some validity, and here 's this, this woman praying with such a, a passion and just all the, using all the secular terms and identifying it to Jesus. <laughs> And, and I think there's a point where we say, that's just not right. Even though the outside world goes, listen, you're different. You shouldn't be embracing this stuff. You shouldn't be promoting this stuff. Why are you enjo- lining up with this stuff? Here he's saying, the world around you, even those who are among the Gentiles, said this shouldn't be going on. It was happening in this first century church. Verse 2, you're puffed up and you haven't mourned, you know. They were so inflated, so self—you know—inflated. They're so open-minded, so inviting, so accepting to sexual immorality. Have you ever heard people say, "I, I wish the church nowadays was more like the first-century church"? <laughs> Go back and read 1 Corinthians five of the first-century church. That there were problems, and there were issues, and there was things within the church. But here's the thing for you and me. We see it, right? We're, we're offended by it. We're trying to maintain relationships and friendship and honor God as we walk in the word. And we're trying to kind of get this sorted out. When is the last time you wept and mourned and grieved over immorality? Many of us are logical. We think, well, that's wrong. How could people get so messed up? We even kind of get irritated with them and offended by them. But when is the last time you wept over immorality, because that's what he's saying. You should. It w- this is your response to to realize there's such a tragedy that you would mourn over, and it maybe be used by God to bring about a resolution or a solution within it. But instead, we can get cerebral, cutting off the heart and being more analytical than saying, "You know what, God, give me a heart. I'm able to understand. I don't know what I don't know." I don't know what some people have went through. I don't know why they promote what they do. I don't know why they practice what they do. I, 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 there's just so much I don't know. But it doesn't cha- change what I do know. And these are the things I want to be able to bring and present and re- share with people. You know, in, in your own world, you'll be asking, so when's, when's the last time you mourned or grieved over immorality? Because, you're going to love this, we're entering a very dark time. And you say, well, thanks for waking up, Dan. You didn't notice? Yeah, it, it, I'll agree with you. It's, it's been dark. And I'm not, I don't, I'm not saying, thus saith the Lord. It may be prophetic in type. I'm not claiming some special gifting in this moment. But I will say it's going to get rapidly darker in the world you live in, in the place you call home, in this nation. It will get rapidly darker. There's a slogan, a rallying cry that I've heard for many, many years. It's squelched. and When it's brought up, people say, that's a lunatic fringe. That's a radical edge. That's not what I hold to. Maybe you've heard it. We are here. We are queer. We are coming for your children. We are here. We are queer. We are coming for your children. That's not just a weird one-off that's so radical you could identify. This is a, a... it's, it's promoted. That particular rallying cry is particularly offensive because we hear it and there's such a defiance within it. But let me touch on something. And, and some of you may be going, like, you know what, don't go there. <laughs> I already did. So it's like, I got to finish. Set aside your personal preference. Set aside your personal opinion. Can we just literally walk through some objective reality? These are just facts. These are just, this is reality. If your lifestyle choice leaves you functionally sterile, unable to reproduce, then you have a problem. Here's the problem. You have to recruit from those whose sexual practice produces children in order to keep your sexual choice generationally alive. Is that not correct? That's a problem we face. It's just a fact. You can get all defensive of a movement or whatever, but you, you... You're not going to reproduce with some of these lifestyle choices. So then you have to recruit from those you disagree with to keep your choice generationally active and going. I I particularly am put out by that, quite honestly. Oh, Dan, you're such... Sometimes you go so hyper. You're so caffeinated. You're so wound up. No, I'm not. I've actually been too quiet, in my opinion. I've been too reserved in some of these things. The fact is, our children from even before elementary age are being deceived and misled and mutilated to fill the needs of those who reject God's design for sexuality. That's a fact. This is a dark chapter in world history. As affluent as it is and as comfortable as we are with our AC and padded chairs and how we do life, it's a dark chapter in history. It's a reality. What's the best thing for darkness? How do you deal with darkness? You bring light into this world. You bring light. And Jesus said he is the light of the world, right? But he said something else. His people, his church, you are the light of the world as well Just to penetrate this darkness. We just got to be aware of the word. Do we value our social alignment, our relational connections, do we value them above the Word of God or because of the Word of God? Because when you put the Word of God first, you are now going to deal with these awkward interactions with those who are confused about the design of sexuality. Hopefully you have empathy for them and compassion for the people in your life that are, that are working through that. Hopefully you can engage with them and bring them to the truth. Not that the trend, the trends will come and go. The cultural shift and the various things that will happen, historically study human history and government, those come and go. But the truth does not. I want to bring them to the word of God so they can understand God has a design and his design is not to hate those who don't follow him. It's to reveal there's a reason for the things that he's established. And there's a framework and, and a purpose for things to be done in the right fashion. Sadly, we're labeled as haters, and, and maybe we just do a poor job of expressing our concern. Maybe we don't mourn and weep enough before we conversation, enter into conversation with people. I know we each have to work that one out. But let me just say this. Open sin is not to be embraced in the church. Rebellion to the Word of God is not to be embraced. Now, that's not to say we're all perfect and got it figured out, but there are certain things that you know are wrong and when you embrace someone who you know it's wrong and they know it's wrong but you're know, like oh we're all working through our issues you know we all got problems shut up stop saying that i hate that saying now you don't have to please me but just think about it. oh we all got our problems is that not a pass to lower the bar and live in such a way that I can do be okay. No, if you know it's wrong, by the grace of God, ask for a greater measure of faith in God, that you can be transformed by the power of God, that you can experience the liberty that God has designed for you where you're not enshackled and not tied to the sin of this life. So you can be free and actually experience the truth of God's presence. There's too many people, we live without... The awareness of his presence. We have the knowledge. But we don't, we're not aware of the power because we're not maybe walking in quite, quite honestly, complete separation to him. Complete separation to him doesn't judge the world. Complete separation to him, you engage with one another and you look, you're a light into the world. If someone is involved in the church and openly sinning, sadly, if that person has enough money. Enough influence, enough friends, too often because of social pressures, they're, they're accepted, and it ought not be. I had a person not too long ago proceed to tell me that if things didn't go the way they preferred, they'd have to ha- find another church. And I said, I will not be manipulated by any man. I will not be pressured by any, you would have said the same thing. I will not be coerced or pressured or strong-armed by any person. And what I'd like to do to help you is introduce you to what we call the door. It's that way. See ya. Because when they get to that point that they boldly verbalize it, let them go. Anyway, you guys suffer second service because you just never know what rant I might take. But maybe it's a good thing. Who knows, you know? So, hey, do not have a fellowship with them, but track with me. We're not going to leave it there. We're going to come back to it. The church is different from the world. We're going to see this in verses 9 through 13. But understand this, as we see in verses 3 through 5. All discipline in the church is to be carried out in this attitude of restoration, not condemnation. It, the discipline is to be carried out with, with the intent for, to restore and to work through and to mature and to grow. Not to, to, to condemn and push someone away. We read in 2nd Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, another time that this issue, a similar issue of, of sin in the church, is brought up. If anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. It's called family discipline, right? It's really difficult, but you're not looking to excommunicate your children. I mean, you may have to repent if you are, (laughs) you know. Your goal is to to bring about unity. You bring about issues that are are agreed upon policy or practices within a particular family. So you have to, you know, say, listen, we've got to deal with this. So the text we're looking at here in chapter 5, I can just touch on a few things. that It's a safe assumption, I believe accurate even, the issue was addressed privately already. The man was irresponsible. He wouldn't respond. Or at least he wouldn't uh, follow instruction. And I'm pretty sure he m- met with mature believers concerning this issue prior to this addressing here. We know that, you know, well, I'll hey, we'll get to the here in a bit. Now it was time to address it before the church for the integrity of the church. It's not in the name of the church it was done, as you see there in the text, it was to be done in the name of Jesus. In the name of the Lord Jesus, you glance there at verse 4, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together, along with my spirit, by the power of our Lord Jesus, in other words, focus on him, deliver this person. Deliver them over to Satan. They learn not to blaspheme. Well, this, That's another text I was actually quoting. Deliver them for the destruction of the flesh. So once again, horizontal, and we're... Bring where we want, we desire this input of the vertical, the experience of the heavenly in this earthly world. This earthly world is, is led by the prince of this age, the Bible says, by Satan. So Satan is allowed a certain season where even though God is over him, he's allowed certain things to happen in this season that we you and I we live in. He's the ruler of this age. And so People who say, I don't want God, have said, I want him. They'll never say, I'm a devil worshiper. They'll never say, I'm a Satanist. But there's just one or the other. There's no in-between. There's no options. So when we say, I don't want God to rule this part of my life, you've said, I want Satan to have a little angle on this, but I'll still do this. You, You don't get to. you know, Turning to one, basically, you're inviting Satan in, even though you wouldn't talk to him but your actions are saying it's okay. So you see what he says here. He says turn him, you know, take this deliver such a one to Satan. This is not the only place. Cuz see when you when you resist God's instruction, you put yourself at risk, agreed? Most of us we know that. When we resist God's instruction, we put ourselves at risk. God has given certain instructions for my benefit. And I've proved him right by resisting those instructions and doing dumb things. And I can get a bumper sticker. I could print some out. You could have one. Dumb hurts. Dumb hurts. It really does. To rebel against God and be under the influence of somebody I pretend isn't there is really dumb. It's really dangerous. And so here what we have is, is a principle that's actually in Scripture. Jesus said something very similar to this. He said it to one of his followers, one of the close disciples. What you do, do quickly to Judas Iscariot, Iscariot, for the devil had already entered him. What you do, do quickly. In chapter 1 of 1 Timothy, speaking of two guys that were a part of that gathering at one time, Hymenaeus and Alexander, Paul said, I delivered them to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Set them over here. The desire always, in this sense, is is in a sense corrective. The instruction is for correction. That they may come back to Jesus. You know, some people can read the Bible and there's this internal conviction. Sometimes just because they're more moral people, they respond to the words and they do what it says and they see it. And then there's some of us that learn from the burn. You know what I'm talking about? When, When someone says, Don't touch to a four-year-old, don't. Stay back. Stop putting stuff in the fire. Stay back. You're going to burn yourself. No, I'm not. And they run to the other side. From now you got the family get together, and they've moved away from Grandma. So now Uncle Bob, he's got to hey, you better be careful. You're going to burn yourself. No, I'm not. And they move around, and pretty quick, sizzle, sizzle. And that kid's like, ah, and now that four-year-old's wanting all your sympathy and kindness and compassion. Oh, it's so bad. And you restrain yourself from saying, I told you so. But he learned. He wouldn't learn from the instruction, but he learned from the burn. But that's not the true end of human experience. Some learn from the instruction. Some learn from the burn, and some go. I got another hand, and that's how they're gonna go. I got a foot that hasn't been burned, and it's like they. they so here's what's being said. You know, okay, go play with fire. You won't receive, and they're gonna have to, you know, do it, but the the goal the hope is that they would come back and they would receive and be be teachable if you would and, and grow in chapter 2 of 2nd Corinthians um verses 6 through 8 I believe it's the same guy who's addressed again when he reveals that he was he'd repented and the church was told to welcome him back don't treat him like an enemy he responded to the grace of God. He realized his, his need for God. He turned from his own defiant ways, and he's turned back. So the church was said, "Don't hold it over him. Be glad that he came back to you." I've had to do. I've had to practice this and put this into play at various times. Interestingly enough, it's been uh, both times that and more recent times was in regards to alcoholism, and the one situation a person had met with me and like, "Hey, I." I just want counsel on on how to do things. And I I just, I don't counsel people. I just can't get past the cultural expectation that a counselor is supposed to have all this philosophy and long flowing sentences and they patronize you with an hour worth of time. And then in the last five minutes, they tell you the issue. I just, maybe I'm a man of short sentences. I'd just rather get to the point and get to the point. And so we deal with it in the first five minutes, which is what we call awkward. I'm not a counselor. I'm not a very good counselor. I have been gifted in biblical discipleship. I can walk you to the word. I can build you up and strengthen you in the knowledge of the word. God's gifted me to do that. I didn't, I didn't sign up for it. I didn't have, I didn't, he just, for whatever reason, poured that into me. And I will share that with people. And I won't get into the long flowing sentence. It's not because I don't like someone. It's just like, I, I want to see them hold on to this one thing. I want them to take hold of it. And I had a person say, hey, I'm, I'm addicted to this. And I just, I don't think I'm addicted. I just like drink. And I said, well, okay, what happens? And he describes his life. I'm like, okay, that's pretty much a common response with too much alcohol. So I said, hey, there what the Bible says. Let's just take this. I want you to chew on this and take consideration. And let's just connect, you know, next week, later in the week, something like that. That's awesome. Thank you so much. So we met later in the week. How'd it go? I got drunk three times, two, two times since we we met last. Like, well, how'd that go? It's like same way. Oh, pretty much makes sense. Can we meet next week? So no, I got some advice for you. Here's what I need you to do. You, you didn't do the first part, but this this week, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go out tonight. I want you to go out Friday night. I want you to get totally ripped. I want you to get so inebriated. You wear a lampshade. I want you to stumble home. I want you to fall on your face. You get home and you wake up in the morning in your filth and your mire and your half-chewed carrots and all this stuff in your hair. Clean yourself up. Clean yourself up. Drink some water. Get refreshed. Saturday night, go out and do it again. And they look at me like, you're the pastor here? You're telling me to go get ripped? Yeah, and do it again the next week. Until you're so sick of stupid, you start doing something about it. Oh, pastor, that's so insensitive. There's a medical care. There's a chemical dependency. I know that. But here's the thing. Until the will is touched by the presence of God and receives that, nothing's going to change. I have seen phenomenal things happen in people's lives. When they agree, God, I need you more than I need anything else. And they start literally processing. And I've had lengthy conversations with them. Because they want to actually put God first. And you see them work through the the harsh realities of chemical dependency. You see them work through the harsh realities of this this lifestyle, where they formerly had no power, but now their will, empowered by the presence of God, they're a transformed person. And, And four years down the road, when somebody's drinking around them, they have to pray just as strongly, they have to focus just as seriously. Because it may be their life battle, but my point is, it took sending and listen you can, until you're done, and you you don't you could find a various steps to prove this. You might even find some organizations with twelve of these steps that give you all this advice. But until you want, till you choose, till you're done with the devil, till you're done. And that's just one of many examples I obviously could have used to express this thing. But remember, uh, our our approach in the church is to say, hey, let's, let's take care of this. The quote I'd like you to consider in regards to church discipline, in regards to addressing these issues, is from Warren Wearsby. And Warren Wearsby had shared this quote, Church discipline is not a group of pious policemen out to catch a criminal, Rather, it's a group of brokenhearted brothers and sisters seeking to restore an erring member of the family. That helps you as you process and work through. Now, I'm going to jump from verse 5, as I mentioned, to verse 9, and I'm going to abbreviate things because it's my commitment to children's ministry to be done reasonably close to what we consider on time. So in verse 9, we now shift to family matters. Family matters. See, family matters is what he's going to be addressed in from verse 9 on. He said, listen, this, we were dealing with family matters, but here I want you to understand, this 9 to 13, this, this, we're making a distinction. We're not dealing with family matters. We're making a separation between the world you live in and, and the family you're a part of. The family of God. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet yeah, I certainly didn't mean with sexually immoral people of the world, the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then you'd have to leave the world. <laughs> There's no place on this planet that you're going to be able to be where there wouldn't be some of that happening unless it's the church. And so do you see what's being said? You, you and I will engage, as I've already mentioned at the very beginning. You will engage with people that do really good at sinning because that's all they know and, and they're really good at it. It doesn't mean it's okay. It means that they'll stand before God and God will continue to prompt them and maybe he'll use you as an empathetic, kind person who can love them and love them enough to bring the truth to them so then they too can be transferred out of this darkness into his glorious light, the Bible speaks of. Now I've written to you, verse 11, not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or idolater or reviler or drunkard or an extortioner. In other words, it's it's to be different in the church. We're to be influenced by the presence of God, taught by the word of God, empowered by the spirit of God, that we live in a way that honors God. It's not that we have to do these things. His love changes us from the inside out. And we desire to live in such a way that brings honor to the Lord. And that's where he says in verse 12, I don't judge those outside the world. That's God's job. God will deal with it. I still love them. It doesn't mean you look down on them. You remember how you used to be for some of us. But you do deal with matters differently in your own home. You deal with things, you know, differently here. Now, let's run back to verse 6 and wrap this all up. Back in verse 6. The attention shifts to the believers in the church from the situation in the church the individual, now it's shifting to the believers a little more specifically. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? You're glorying, you're boasting. Like today and the century before us, and you can keep going back every century, every generation, this situation has been present at some place on the planet. In the early church, we know First Corinthians, we are so forgiving we are so understanding that we kind of invite everything in. Everything's okay because we're loving and kind. That is not loving and kind. To say to the believers and the family members among you, you know, we can do whatever we want. We can be just like the world. We're not called to be different. That's not loving. And kind. We're, we are called to be different. And so he says, don't you get it? A little leaven affects the whole lump. God, I'm profiling you right now just real quickly. I can, so I'm guessing there's a few of you who have actually used leaven, a leavening agent. You have actually made bread. The rest of us buy it in a plastic bag with some air inserted into it, and they actually arrogantly call it balloon bread. And we're suckers enough to buy it. Anyway, sidebar. So here, there's this leaven. What's leaven do? It, it's it's a leavening. It, it penetrates the whole lump if you just sprinkled a little on there like, ah, I don't want to deal with this. That's kind of, ah, never mind. that. I'll just set that part aside. You get up in the mo- morning, it affected the whole lump. Leaven is always referenced uh, as, as a type of sin in scripture, which is what we see here. A little bit... Affects everybody. You understand the context. You've been with me now as we walk through this issue of sexuality and the things that happen. And when you allow a little bit in, it affects the whole lump. Now, in verse 7, we see he ties together this Old Testament example. He says, Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. He ties together the Old Testament example of the Passover celebration. You remember the Passover. Israel was in captivity to the world. Egypt. They they were held by Egypt. Then God says, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to take you out of this captivity. And here's what you're to do. As an act of faith in obedience... You take a, a lamb, was without blemish, spotless, no, no deformities. And you sacrifice that lamb, and then you take some of that blood of the lamb, and you put it upon the doorpost and the lintel. This is what you do by faith. And so death then would pass over them. The lamb was also to be eaten, was to become a part of them. You see the context he's t- sharing this? In, in regards to purifying the church and us having a closer relationship with him, he's reminding that Old Testament example, that was an example that's perfectly fulfilled in Christ. He's bringing this all together. It's so, so amazing as you look at it. They took the lamb at the Passover. They consumed it with the expectation of deliverance. They were being called out of captivity. They were called out from Egypt. And at the meal... They were to have their sandals on, staff in hand, and ready to go. They weren't to be so attached to this world that when the, the time to go was time to go, they're like, ah, oh, I'm not quite ready yet. No. And we see Jesus urging and prompting to be ready as well at any time. But they were to be ready to go. And another interesting thing that took place is with the, the leaven. There was to be no leaven in the bread. They were moving from the old place, the old lump, to the new place, called out. And they would have kind of a, a, a game, if you would, to teach their children. And they'd have this, they take this, and they'd, they'd search the house for leaven. And sometimes the dad would hide some, and there'd be little pieces or whatever. And so they had, it was just a way to teach them. It all has to be got out. take it all out. Get rid of the leaven, get rid of the, the things of this world. And notice in verse 8, therefore. If you're a Bible student, if you want to know the word of God, a little cliche, catchy little phrase is important. What's the therefore? Therefore. Why would he say that now? Well, because of the Passover lamb, because of these things you've learned, because of the lordship of Jesus Christ, You know, because he suffered for us, that he makes this correlation, this connection, that Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us therefore let us keep the feast not with old leaven not with the ways of the world nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness but with the unleavened bread unleavened bread of sincerity and truth sincerity speaks of clearness of purity of freedom from hypocrisy and if you struggled with hypocrisy if you're breathing you do and uh, if you're not you already departed no problem you, you maybe understand what I'm alluding to when you, when you have to be one person at work and around friends and you have a broader vocabulary, but you're with friends from church. You have to crunch that vocabulary and then you visit grandma and it gets crunched tighter. You have certain words you can use. You're trilingual. There's all this stuff like what, how much more difficult can you make your life? I want to suggest there's something that's way better. Just do you and let God finish his work. Just be one. Be the same person in church. Be the same person at work. Have the same vocabulary. You won't be able to change it all at once, but he'll change it. You put him first and he'll change it. There's there's probably nothing more disturbing to me in my own journey than those seasons where I just was trying to be two people. I get tired being me, let alone two of me. Trying to be, it's like, oh man, I'd rather live in just sincerity and truth that's spoken of here. I'd like to have Greg come up and lead us in worship because we are going to take communion today. I I just love the timing and how it's worked out as we work through the word together. And see in this particular um, instruction in regards to knowing how to live in the world. And be of the world, or in the world, but not of the world to be new creations, even though there's sexual strangeness all around us. He's teaching us, and he say, hey, remember me, Jesus says. Will you stand with me? So our practice, real simply, is the communion elements we set off to the side, a little thought, and this is a philosophy, this is a thought. It allows you to make the decision to take communion. It's kind of awkward sometimes. If it passes by you, it's still good, but you, you choose to come up, and, or pick it up in the back. I believe there's a table back there. So you'll come up during the song of worship together as, you, as a Christian. This is for Christians. This is for born-again Christians. As a born-again Christian, you have plenty to remember. Jesus said, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. So you have a relationship with him. Maybe your journey has been all over the place. You still have a relationship, plenty to remember. And so he brings you back, not to your fault and failings, Or your stumblings, he brings you back to your born-again experience, the, the truth that you are his. Remember him, his body given for you, his blood poured out for you, his perfect work accomplished in you. Don't be looking at your history, looking at your look at your savior. And so you have opportunity to take communion. If you're not a believer, if you're not yet a Christian, I don't know what you're waiting for. What in this world makes you want to wait? If you do not know the truth and some of the realities of Jesus, who is the Christ, I encourage you, get into the Word of God. Get into the Word of God. If if you want want to have discussion, I would gladly meet with you. I know many people that would love to hear your story. We're not going to persuade you. We're going to teach you what the Word says, and you're going to make your decision. I'm even going to give you an opportunity even now. We'll pray together right now, and then we'll have a time of worship, and then we'll take communion. God, thank you that we're here that we're hearing this message. Lord, I hope I'm not in the way. I'm hoping that you, God, would take the truth that you brought through my voice and you would implant it in the hearts of your people. For anyone who's, who's hearing this and have not, they do, you do not have the confidence that you're born again. You, you have a concern that it's just been a show. It's just been going through motions. I invite you just to simply say, God, I put my trust in you. I'm not going to try to figure out my history. I want to look to you as my Savior. I just want, I ask you to forgive me, to give me this new life you speak of, to show me how to walk by faith, to turn from those things that are just tearing me up, and to walk by faith. Jesus, I need you now, this hour. I don't demand that. I, I desire that. I believe that you will bring about change in my life. And so I ask you, Jesus, I put my faith in you, for you are God. You conquered death and hell. You rose from the dead. You proved that you are God, and I need you. My trust in you, and we all will sing together, recognizing your goodness, God, and rejoicing in your power. We sing this song to you.